this is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used in churches for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used in the lectionary in the coming weeks. Today's passage is taken from the book of Revelation, chapter 31, verses 1 through 6a. It happens to be the reading for All Saints Day, which many churches will observe on the first Sunday in November. In this case, that might be November 7, 2021. As these closing two chapters of Revelation open, we find that the writer is is bringing everything together, all of this rich imagery throughout the book of Revelation. And we have a sweeping image as Revelation chapter 21 opens. We see a new heaven and a new earth that have come into being, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. This is a a reordering of things in the imagery of Revelation 21. And it's a cataclysmic event in Revelation. You know, oftentimes people have a lot of uh, notions and ideas about the book of Revelation, thinking that uh, the book is about the end of the world. And while it might allude to that, uh, reality is, is that the, the reorientation of all things, in other words, the, the elimination of the existence that we now have and having it replaced with this redemptive existence kind of happens in a whimper. It's right there in chapter 21, verse 1. There's not much made about it, this reorientation that goes on. So for as much as we might look at Revelation as kind of a, uh, a cataclysmic book, Uh, In reality, Revelation is just moving through these seasons of God's redemptive work, and chapter 21 opens up this new season of a new heaven and a new earth. One of my favorite scholars on the book of Revelation uh, died a good number of years ago, Bruce Metzger. He has an interesting way of describing how we're to read Revelation, and he simply says this, it does not mean what it says, it says what it means. And what Metzger is trying to highlight is that Revelation is a form of apocalyptic literature. And apocalyptic is a genre or a style of writing that is richly symbolic and uses these vivid images to try to convey its meaning. And so when we try to read Revelation in a literalistic sort of way, we, we actually fail to recognize the nuance and the richness of this passage of Scripture. Again, with Metzger, the text doesn't mean what it says. In other words, I just don't read the words and all of a sudden that's exactly what it's supposed to mean. No, it actually says what it means. It's trying to communicate a value, a virtue, a quality to us in apocalyptic literature. So we have to read it carefully. We have to understand what it says. But really the goal here is to be able to understand what it says so that we can understand its meaning and what is trying to be conveyed to us. Revelation was written to a community of Christians that were under a fierce persecution by the Roman Empire. Many scholars believe this to be Emperor Domitian at the very close of the first century. It could possibly even be Roman persecution at the dawn of the second century. And Revelation is the book that's trying to describe how God's grace and power and love will overcome the evil that's being experienced by Roman hands during these early days of the church. Now, in these opening verses of chapter 1, most scholars think that we're not talking about the destruction of the first heaven and the first earth because there was a clear way to say that. Instead, the writer says that the first heaven and the first earth 
passed away. In other words, that there was a, a movement from one to another. So when the writer says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, most scholars think this is a reorientation of things rather than a destruction. And what's important in verse 1-2 is to recognize it says the writer describes that there is no longer any sea, as in ocean or bodies of water. You know, there's a lot of models of the sea in ancient literature and especially within Jewish literature. The, the sea represents a place of a chaos, a place of uh, the unknowable or the mysterious. And so the elimination of the sea isn't a uh, isn't in some form trying to slam people who like looking at the ocean. No, it's it's rather trying to say that this this sense of uh, chaos or this sense of disorder is done away with. Again, it's not about what it says, it's about what it means. This entire opening part of this text in Revelation 21 is lifted from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 65, as is much of Revelation a significant part of Revelation, a majority of this book's imagery and meaning is lifted from Jewish scripture. It is not original to Revelation at all. And so when we read this book, we have to pay attention carefully to how these texts would have been understood by those to whom they were written, not just how we would like to read them. There's a new heaven and a new earth. There's a reordering of things, a sweeping away of an age of suffering and pain and persecution, and a new age is coming. And that's really the key passageway here for us to hear, is that God is at work to redeem all things. God is not just at work redeeming individuals. That's a misunderstanding of the redemptive work of God. Notice in verse 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This redemptive work of God is not about individuals. It's about community. It's global in nature. And Revelation gives us a picture of a God who heals and restores everything. And we're part of that created order as well. It's part of us. This story that we're reading in Revelation 21 is our story, but it's also a cosmic story. God is at work to redeem all things. Quite likely the most significant image we see in Revelation 21 is this idea of a holy habitation. At the heart of this text is this new Jerusalem, it says in verse 2, that comes down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This new Jerusalem is the centerpiece of Revelation chapter 21. And this is again classic Jewish apocalyptic literature. This this image of a new city coming down out of heaven is a powerful one. And it's one that is designed to help us understand exactly how God is hoping and desiring and wanting and moving to be in relationship with us. It's the idea here that God's habitation will be restored in our midst. It's an adaptive image because and it was common in the Roman world to understand Rome as the apex of civilization, to be, uh, to be the, the holy city within the Roman world. Whereas, in fact, Revelation is saying it's not Rome, it's actually Jerusalem. And a new version of this Jerusalem, a Jerusalem that's not beholden to any race or tribe of people, but rather it is the habitation of God come into our midst. That, 
that the new heaven and new earth in verse 1 are not the same thing as the new Jerusalem. This new Jerusalem is an image that's that's meant really to describe the habitation of God. It's the church, if you will, the ecclesia as a whole. So much of this image about this holy city coming down out of from heaven is lifted out of the book of Ezekiel. And this new city is a dwelling of God in the midst of God's people. And again, literalism will fail us here. To expect a literal city coming down out of heaven to the ground and that God lives in it and we live there as a geographic location is to really misunderstand the power and meaning of this text. What the text is trying to tell us is that God will once again dwell with all creation. And what is experienced in incarnation in Jesus and what is embodied in the church now becomes a universal experience. It's a cosmic experience. It's a restoration, if you will, of the created order. God's dwelling is in the center of this new heaven and new earth. So again, think about what the text is trying to tell us in terms of its meaning, not so much its literalness. God will be in our midst. And that's the key passageway for us here is that it's God's desire to be with us. Verse 3 tells us, I heard a loud voice from among them saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among the people, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eye. Don't let this elude us when we read this text. God's desire is to be with us. One of my favorite books is written by Samuel Wells, an Anglican bishop. It's called the Nazareth Manifesto. And in the Nazareth Manifesto, Wells talks about how God's great desire is to be with us, to be companioned with us, to be alongside us, to be engaged with us. This is the nature of communion, if you will. This is the ultimate longing of God. And it's also why the, why, why the old order has to be transformed, because God's action, God's movement, God's dynamism is to be with us. So let's stop making the mistake of asking God to somehow be present in our midst. God is present. What's at stake is our awareness of it. Finally, what this passage of scripture begins to open up to us is a perfected future. In this new reality, there is a God that wipes away tears where there's no longer any death, mourning, crying, or pain. We read this in verse 4, and he will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. The things associated with the first heaven and the first earth have all passed away. And this is what that first heaven and earth really represent. They represent the kind of alienation and the suffering reality of the existence in which we live. This is especially true for those who originally read this work in the first and second century. It's trying to communicate to them something important as they suffered under Roman persecution, reading these words of a perfected future. 
gave them a hope beyond hope. That not only is God making all things new, but this is a promise of a new kind of reality. It says in verse 5, and he who sits on the throne, again, the, the imagery in Revelation is one sitting on a throne ruling over all things, that God is in this place, that behold, God says, I am making all things new. And then he said, write these words because they're faithful and true. The idea here is that there is a perfected future in which everything that has been lost in the human experience, communion with God, communion with one another, and communion with the natural order or the created order, all that has been lost is is restored. The wording here in Revelation 21 is critically important. It's an unwinding of the Genesis story. And this is where the book of Genesis and the book of Revelation kind of uh, as the beginning and the end of the so-called Bible uh, give us a, a picture of this narrative from beginning to end, this meta-narrative that this passage of scripture is trying to unwind what was damaged in the Genesis story, the alienation, the enmity between uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, ultimately Cain and Abel, how God can't find them in the garden of Eden. This story is designed to, to bring reconciliation and healing and restoration. It's a perfected future that Revelation 21 is trying to describe. And and not so much for the sake of just simply being descriptive of that future reality, but really to try to point to the fact that this reality affects how we behave in the present. There's a notion we have that God's movement is toward a perfected future. And that's the key passageway here for us, that God's movement is toward a perfected future. We live in a dynamic time, not a time in which we are adrift. The future, the future of this perfected state is present in us and through us. This communion with God, with one another, and with the created order happens in us by the dwelling power of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul talks about how that spirit within us is a down payment of a future redemption, and that future redemption is what Revelation 21 is trying to describe. Yet often we think of this new future only in relationship to ourselves, the, this kind of Western predilection that we have for individual salvation keeps us from seeing the complexity and the nuance and the beauty of Revelation 21. This isn't about making each of us new. This is about making all things new. The language in Revelation 21 is universal, that everything and all of creation is moving to this future. This is critically important for us on All Saints Day, which is November 1, but most churches might observe it on November 7, the first Sunday of November. It's the day in which we remember all those in the life of the church that have died during the previous year or even years. And the promise of this text and why it's in the lectionary in some ways is that there is a perfected life that bleeds into our reality, that God is redeeming all things. So we celebrate the saints that have died, not because they need it, but because we need it. We need to stay focused in a broken world, focused on the fact that God is at work, even in ways that we cannot always see 
leading a movement toward a perfected future. God is moving. Maybe we can't quite see it yet or totally, especially in these difficult days of pandemic and polarity. But yet God is moving. And Revelation 21 is a message that we as followers of Jesus need to hear now, perhaps more than at any time in our lifetimes. That's it for this week. I bid all of you grace. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.